We have been in a sermon series for the last few weeks about how to be a good Christian, tongue-in-cheek, implied. And we talked about all those things, and Vic has really hammered the last couple weeks about, about prayer and about reading the Word and about studying that. And it's not just about checking the box. I think so often we go through these motions of like, all right, I got to get up and I got to pray and I got to read, and then I've done my duty, I'm good. I check it off and I move on to the next thing. And he's really tried to hammer that point home about not being just checking the box. And he's even said, stop trying to be a good Christian. Instead, fall in love with Jesus. And it's not just about the box, but it's about a relationship. And it's about how to build your relationship with God as you study, as you pray. Spending time with him. Don't just hurry up and rush through it so you can say, I've finished it, but instead to fall in love with him. And we're kind of hitting on that again today. And if you remember, he said there were three things that we always talk about about what it means to be a good Christian. One was to pray. One was to read your Bible. And do you remember what the third one was? Nobody. All right. All right. Anybody? Remember what the third one was? Go to church. That's right. You got to read your Bible. You got to go to church. You got to pray. And I think that realistically, that's the most common box checked. I think a lot of people will come in and they're, all right, you got my time, you got my hour, and then I've checked that box. I'm good for the week. I'm done. I did my duty. I gave my time. Here we are. That's what it is. Now, I uh, spent a lot of time in church. My dad was a pastor, so I have been in church since I was an embryo. So every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday school, vacation Bible school, we even planned revivals back then. I think that's the weirdest thing in the world that you can plan when the Spirit of God's going to show up and do a mighty work, but we would do that. And business meetings and all these different things, harvest festivals, because you can't say Halloween, all these different things that we would do. Every time the doors were open, we were there. My dad would take off one Sunday a year, and it was to visit family. And that did not mean you didn't go to church. We just went to a different one somewhere else, wherever the family was. And I've said this before, but I, I love it, and it's a Mark Lowry quote. It's not mine, but he said a long time ago that when he was growing up, in order to miss church, you had to be sick. And if you were sick, you had to throw up and prove it. (laughs) And if you couldn't throw up, then you weren't sick. And if you threw up, they said, well, don't you feel better? Let's go to church. (laughs) That's how it was in my house. I remember I was probably in fourth or fifth grade when I learned that other people didn't go to church. It was just a normal thing. That was part of our life so much. And I would talk to friends, and I'd be like, hey, what'd you do? And they were like, oh, we went to the lake. And I was like, but it was Sunday. And they're like, yeah. I was like, what do you mean? You didn't go to church? And they're like, no. And this was, this was a foreign concept to me. It was something I had never really seen before. We are having some technical difficulties this morning, so y'all just kind of bear with us um, as we get through this. So I think one of the things that we need to ask when we talk about going to church, 
I think the first thing we ask is, what is the church? Now, right now, you are at the crossing. In case you didn't know where you were, this is where you are. This is where you are, right? This is an aspect of the church. But if you look throughout history and you look throughout the scripture, the church is not a place. It's never a place. There are cathedrals built all around the world. You got St. Peter's Basilica in Vatican City. You got Notre Dame. You've got all these different huge metropolitan, the Metropolitan Cathedral in Rio de Janeiro holds like 20,000 people. 200 foot stained glass windows up each side. If you look in this place, you'll notice on each side of the room is a basketball goal. This is a gym. Some of you played here. Some of you went to school here. And the church also meets at my house every now and then. About every other week, they meet at my house. And all those buildings, you know what they all have in common? They're buildings. Four walls, a foundation, a roof. There's actually nothing sacred or holy about them. This place is not sacred or holy. When we leave after second service, all this stuff goes away. It's four walls and a building. The church is people, and it's what God designed it to be. And you read in the first place it's ever mentioned, Jared, you could help me out, the first place it's ever mentioned is in Matthew. And when Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says to them, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some people think you're Elijah. And some think you're John the Baptist. And others think that maybe you're just one of the other prophets that's come back. And he said, yeah, but, but who do you say that I am? Jesus replied, or they said, sorry, they said, G Peter steps up and he says, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Go back one more, I'm sorry. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. This is the first time the word church is used in the scripture. Never in the Old Testament, only in the new, the first of about 120 times it's mentioned. And the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you forbid on earth will be forbid in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. The word that we are talking about here today is ekklesia. The word church in Greek is ekklesia. And it means a called-out assembly. It is never used in a geographical sense. It is not a location. Technically, you cannot go to church. Now, you will see Paul 
talk about the church of Rome, the church of Corinth, the church of Ephesus. But what he is saying, he is writing a letter to the called out people, the called out ones of that region. To the called out assembly of Rome, this is the letter. It is when we, the people of God, assemble together, that is the church. We are the church. It is not a location. In fact, just write that down. The church is not a place, but a people. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you are a member of the church. Now, if Paul was writing a letter to us today, he would not address it to the crossing. He would say, to the church of Mena. And then they would take that and they would either assemble together and read the letter or it would pass from house to house. And that's how the word would be communicated. Because the church is not a place. If this building goes away tomorrow, the church does not cease to exist. It relocates. It's moving. It's living. It's active. And it assembles. Whenever the, the saints of God assemble together, that is church. And so if that's what it is, then the question is, what's the purpose? What is the purpose of the assembly? What is the purpose of those being called out? And when we look at this, um, there are, I want to read some passages in Matthew where Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. From the very beginning, from Genesis 1, God has been desperately reaching out to his people and communicating with them and trying to build relationship with them. In the Garden of Eden, we see him walk and talk with Adam in the cool of the evening. That's how he communicated. After the fall, things changed. But he still works in different ways, especially through the patriarchs, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's just showing up, and he's talking to them, and he is showing sometimes in, in bodily form even. And he is meeting them where they are. And then it moves on into the law of Moses. And as they're traveling, the tabernacle is built. And we have the Ark of the Covenant and we have all these things where God will move as a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. And God is reaching his people. And now there's a location. And then Solomon builds a temple. And the people of God would congregate to the temple. And they would meet him there. And he would speak to them through the prophets. And he would speak to them through kings. And he would speak through them through the judges and just through the people of God. And then, Christmas. And then Jesus shows up on the scene, and Emmanuel is here, our God with us. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, 
forms the church. And the church is now the primary way that God reveals himself to the world. Now, does that mean that the other ways are no longer used? No, God will do whatever it takes to meet his people. But the church was designed to reveal Christ to the world. It was designed, and like we read in Matthew, to make disciples, to teach, to do all those things. It was his primary way of revealing who he was to a fallen world. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this next one. But the church was designed for edification. Now, edification is a fancy word which means to build each other up, to strengthen, to uplift, to push you into being more and more like Jesus. We see this all throughout the scripture. And we're going to read in uh, Romans chapter 6. It says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So as God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, then serve them well. And if you are a something, teacher, I thought that's what it was, but I didn't want to guess. Teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, then be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, then take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, then do it gladly. And don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who curse you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. And do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their head. And don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. When the saints of God assemble together, it is to be edifying. It is to strengthen you. It is to build you up. It is to make you more like Jesus. The scripture says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It is to push you to be more and more like him. 
That is what one of the primary functions of the church is, is to build each other up. And in the scriptures, you will, I talk about this all the time, the scriptures, there are so many, over a hundred times in the New Testament, there are the one another's. Fifty-nine times are direct commands about how we are to be towards one another. And I want to read those to you this morning. I'm going to do it quickly. But these are direct commands from the Scripture. And we read some of these in Romans. But the first one is love one another. Sixteen times that command is given in the New Testament to love one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Be like-minded towards one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Even with a holy kiss, it says. Don't do that. Um, Unless the Lord tells you to do it, then go ahead and do it. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Speak the truth in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Consider others better than yourselves. Look to the interests of one another. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. Stir up one another to love and good works. Show hospitality to one another. Employ the gifts that God has given us for the benefit of one another. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another. Well, we like that one, don't we? And then there are the negative commands, which are still commands, but it's don't lie to one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, you will be destroyed by each other. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And do not slander one another and don't grumble against one another. Fifty-nine direct commands that have to do with one another. And that is what the church is supposed to be doing. That is the function of the assembly. When we get together, we are pushing each other. We are making each other more and more like Jesus, fine-tuning each other, calling each other out, holding each other accountable, sharpening one another, encouraging, building up, lifting up, healing, praying, doing all these things for each other. That is what the church is supposed to be doing. That is the function of the church. You know why? It's tough out there. It's hard. We live in a fallen world. And when we get saved, when you start following Jesus, he doesn't just zap you out. He leaves you here. So you can help each other. I need this. I need my circle. I need someone to say, you need to be more like Jesus. You're not being very Christ-like right now to pray for me, to lift me up, to encourage me, because the world 
will eat you up and spit you out. The church was designed for worship and community. We read in Acts where it says all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those that were being saved. The church was designed for us to call out assembly to come together to worship and glorify him. It is, we were designed to live in community with one another. When you read that passage, they did this every day. Every day, they devoted time to listening to teaching. They devoted time to breaking bread together. They devoted time to meeting each other where they were. They devoted time to the community. They devoted time to each other. And it says that the Lord added to their numbers daily those that were being saved. So many of us today in, in our culture look at the hour, hour and a half of time as just a lot. It's too much. Find me a church that maybe wraps it up in 45 minutes. I ain't got time for this. The first church it was life. It was daily, every day, breaking bread together. If you have a need, guess who met that need? The church. If you were suffering, guess who was there to help? The church. They were selling property, selling stuff, and giving to those who had need. Meeting the temple daily, listening to the apostles daily, miracles were being performed, and people were coming to know Jesus. Because believe it or not, if you look around the world today, if you look around, turn on social media, turn on the TV, people are starving for community. They are starving for affection. They are starving just to be seen. And when you look at the first church especially, when you had people from all different classes and all different walks of life coming together, men and women, Jews and Greeks, Romans, slaves, all these different people coming together and breaking bread, the world around them going, what is going on over there? I want some of that. We were designed to reveal Christ to the world. We were designed to build one another up. We were designed to worship together and have community together. So we know what it is. 
It's a people. We know some of the things it's supposed to do. Now, we could talk for hours about the things that it's supposed to do. Give me that next slide, Jared. It's not cooperating with me. So why is the assembly important? We know what it is. We know what it does. Why does it matter? Victor even talked about a couple weeks ago, what's in it for me? So why does it matter? Did you know that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have surrendered to him and made him Lord of your life, not only are you a member of the church, God has equipped you specifically with a specific spiritual gift. Every one of you. If you are a believer, you have a gift. Some of you are going, no, I don't. Yes, you do. Maybe you're not aware of what it is yet, but he has given each of you a gift. And that gift has a place and a function. And the gift God has given you was meant to be shared with other believers. The gifts that are given, and we're going to read some of those here in 1 Corinthians. A spiritual gift is given to each one of us so we can help each other. See, that's not my words. It's the Bible. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to one another, and to someone else, the Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts, he alone decides which gift each person should have. If you have a gift, and you do, we just read the passage, you have a gift. It was designed, the gift was given to you for the church. It is for each other. That is vitally important. You have a specific gift designed for the assembly that you gather with. And it is to be used for the building up and the edification of the church till we all get to be perfect. Is anybody here perfect? Okay, then we got to keep using our gifts. We have to keep using them. In a room of this many people on a Sunday morning in the time slot we have allotted it's really not possible for everybody to use your gifts all at the same time. This is why it is vitally important for you to be in circles. Because you need to be able to use the gift that God has given you. And sometimes it doesn't work on a large scale. Sometimes it's very intimate. But every one of you has a gift. And this is a puzzle. And when that piece is missing, it's missing. Now, the scripture does say that if you are weak and if someone is weak and they're struggling, then someone else will take up that slack. 
But the thing is, you have been given a gift of God that is to be used for the edification of all of us. I need you. I need you to stir up good works in me. I need you to do the things that God has called you to do because I don't possess all the gifts and neither do you. We need each other. When people talk about, well, let's go to church, it drives me nuts. Because, hey, you can't go to church. We just talked about that earlier. But people will say, well, where do you go to church? And they'll say, and I say, well, I go to the crossing because it's just too hard to have the whole conversation. I go to the crossing, and you know what I hate? And I know he hates it too. Is that Victor's church? No, it's not. Victor doesn't have a church. Only Jesus has a church. The, the church is talked about in three different aspects for the most part throughout Scripture. One, it is the bride of Christ. And he is the bridegroom. The one is that it's a building made up of living stones that we're all a part of. But he is the chief cornerstone, the foundation that everything is built on. And the other one that Paul uses so often, it is the body of Christ. And he is the head of the church. There is no other church. There is just his he is not sharing his bride with anyone else. It's not Victor's church or Brother Bobby's church or whatever. It is the church of Jesus Christ, and he is the only one who has authority over it. It is his and his alone. Hebrews says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the, what? The habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now what day? That is the great and glorious day of the Lord when he returns. And I don't know when that is. And neither do you. But I know we're closer now than I've ever been. And if, it, and if 2,000 years ago, the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, don't forget to assemble together. Don't forget to spend time together. Because as we keep moving forward, as more time comes, you need each other. And it's become a habit. Now, I shared at the beginning, I have been in the church for decades. And last month, we had a work Christmas party that's always a Saturday night deal, and it's out of town, and it's an overnight thing. And so I wasn't here that Sunday. And then the next Sunday, uh, Evan, my son, was sick. And so we stayed home. I missed two weeks in a row. It's not very normal for me, but I missed two weeks in a row. And I'll be honest, that third week... I was like, eh, I don't really want to go. I really don't want to have to get up and do this today. It was kind of nice having those two days in a row off. It's e really, really easy to form a habit. Not a good one, but a bad one comes on quick, right? 
doesn't take biting your fingernails every day for six months to start picking up a habit. It just starts after you do it a few times. It's become a habit. It was, it was a habit 2,000 years ago when they're writing this. Back in the, uh, in the 90s, there was a, you guys remember like all the say no to drugs commercials? Like this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. I remember those. Some of you are too young to remember, but still don't do drugs. Um, but they had one that always stuck out to me, and it, and it was a, a father and a son. And I don't remember exactly the, the drug in, of choice at the time, but he gets caught. The kid's busted for doing drugs. And so the dad's just ripping into him, right? And he's like, what are you doing? Who taught you this? Where did you get this from? What are you doing? And he goes, I learned it from you, all right? I learned it by watching you. And the tagline at the end was, parents who use drugs have kids who use drugs. I don't know if that's true or not. You could probably look at statistics and find out if that's statistically true. But parents, I say this to you today, that if the assembly is not important to you, it's probably not going to be important to your kids. You set the standard. It needs to become a priority because here's the deal. All those one another's that we read earlier, you can't do them by yourself. You have to have each other to do a one another. And I hear this all the time. Well, you don't have to go to church to have a good relationship with the Lord. You're right. I'm not going to argue that. But imagine how much better it could be. Because you are, you may spend all your time devoted to prayer and to fasting and to reading the scripture, but if you are neglecting the bride of Christ, then you're missing out. You're missing a big chunk of what he intended for your life. You're missing out on it. It's not about attendance, okay? We don't take attendance. It's not about your offering. It's not about make sure we have enough numbers here on Sunday so we can brag to the other churches how good we're doing. It's about one another. It is about serving God in a way that can only be manifested through the assembly of the saints together and using the gifts that God has given you. There was a period, I don't know what was going on exactly, but where Evan would come to me, and it would be like a Saturday night or a Sunday morning every time, and it, it would, for a few months, I don't know what the deal was, but he would go, are we going to church tomorrow? Are we going to church in the morning or today? And I would, I would answer the same way every time. I said, are you sick? And he'd be like, well, no. Then why wouldn't we go? Why wouldn't we go? I said, look, I don't know what happens in other homes. But in this house, we're going to meet with the saints. Like Joshua said, choose you this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
It's not a question. This is what we do. This is who we are. This is the standard. I need you guys. I got another story as if the worship team would come on up. And, and I'm going I'm, I'm to talk about a person who I, uh, I'm not going to mention any names because some of you might be descendants of hers. And what I'm going to tell you may not be completely accurate. I'm going to be honest with you, but I'm going to tell you what I remember. Okay. My dad was a pastor. He pastored the first, Bapt- or first, free will, sorry, first free will Baptist church over on Cherry and Petros by Dallas Avenue for nine years. That was a church I grew up in. And there was a little old lady who was the first person there every time the doors were open. Every Sunday morning, we would get there early because we had to open the doors, we had to turn the air on or the heat on and print off the bulletin. You don't remember bulletins? They were kind of like note sheets, but two pages. And there was the bulletins, and we would do that and getting everything ready for the day. And we would pull up 30, 40 minutes earlier. There she'd be in her same parking spot every time. She was there every time the doors were open. I do recall her saying at one point she couldn't remember if, if she could ever sin, but she probably did at some point. <laughs> she sat, if, you were, if this was the, the church, she sat right there where Glenn's at, right there in the second row every Sunday. Second row, right side of the stage, every Sunday for years. Faithful, perfect attendance. I remember that. What I don't remember, and I could be wrong. I'm not trying to pass judgment on anybody. They have gone on to be with the Lord. I remember the attendance. I don't remember her praying for anybody, serving in any capacity. I don't remember her building others up. I don't remember all of these things that the church is supposed to be doing. Faithful as the day is long, perfect attendance. But I remember this. After the song service, because we didn't have worship service in the Baptist church, it was song service. After the song service, she would get out her pen and she would fill in Every circle, every zero, every little loop-de letter while the message was being spoke. And if she ran out, if dad was long-winded, then the doodles would start. Every week. And I was in a church, I was a youth pastor. And there was a guy who would sit at the back row, and I'm not going to mention any names either. He was a deacon of the church. And about 11.55, because we wrapped up at 12, the arm would go up. (laughs) 
wrap it up. So my challenge to you this week is this. Stop going to church and start being the church. It's not about attendance. It's not I have met my time allotted to give to you. It is my going to gather with the saints so they can push me into a new place and I can be a part of something that is much, much bigger than me. Because at the end of the day, you may not know this, it's not about you. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about his church. And it's about what he wants out of you. Don't go through the motions. Be the church. Let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you. We thank you for designing the church and for allowing us to be a part of it. Lord, I pray that in the coming weeks and in the coming days, Lord, that you reveal more and more of yourself and your design for each of our lives and your design for, for the church, for the assembly, Lord, what that is, that you reveal that in us. Give us wisdom to know the gifts that you've already given and the courage to exercise them. 